This episode of the Morning Skate is brought to you by Laga Sports. Laga Sports specializes in making 100% custom, fully sublimated uniforms and apparel for a variety of sports, but they're known for the premium quality and creativity of hockey jerseys. They have a one-price, any-design policy. It doesn't matter if you're looking for a simple NHL style or if you're wanting to create jerseys that look like rebel fighters from Star Wars. The price will always be the same, and the design of possibilities are endless. Check them out at lagasports.com. That is lagasports.com. L-A-G-A-S-P-O-R-T-S dot com. Own your look, own the game. You'll lose 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow, up to show. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Morning Skate. This is episode 130. Uh, sorry for the delay the last couple of weeks. This coronavirus thing's been crazy. Um, we're going to have our Sunday podcast coming up soon with the regular boys, but this is a special interview. We got uh, Justin Goldman of the Goalie Guild on. Happy 38th birthday to him. Shout out. Uh, we appreciate you joining again. It's Ked. Dale's here. Dale, where can the people find you? In the analytics, I just got to say I'm pumped to be back podcasting. It, is, it, just, feels, it just feels great. So, uh, yeah, you can find me in the analytics. I'm excited to be here today. Awesome. And, Justin, thanks for joining us, man. How's it going, buddy? Doing well, man. I'm happy to be on with you guys. I've been following you all for a while and enjoy the content. And, uh, yeah, just looking forward to chatting with you guys today. Absolutely. It's crazy. Like, once you like, you start following hockey people on Instagram – I don't know if we followed you, you followed us, but we, it was a mutual following. And I think it was like maybe last week you went Instagram live and I was like, you know what, man, like we got to get this guy in the pod. We haven't had any goalie talk and this would be the time to go to go to him. So thanks. Thanks again for joining. Before we get into what you do, how about you just give us a little background? Uh, did you grow up playing hockey? If you did, where'd you end up going? And then we'll, we'll get into the other questions afterwards, but t- tell us your hockey yeah. story. Yeah, so pretty non-traditional hockey background. I actually was born and raised on a horse ranch in northern Texas. No so, way. Yeah, so I grew up on a horse ranch about, you know, 45 minutes outside of Dallas. And, you know, I'm 38 years old today, right? So I was born in 1982. So this was a decade before the Minnesota North Stars relocated to Dallas. Right. Uh, so grew up on the horse ranch, like was always outside, um, big nature guy. Um, and yeah, I didn't even know hockey existed until I was 11 years old. And that's when the Minnesota North Stars relocated to Dallas. So um, that's how I got introduced to hockey. Like, I, And back then, you know, there was one rink where you could actually ice skate. And, and that was pretty far from where I was living. So it was street hockey, right? Like it was, it was rollerblades and it was the oh, old yeah. plastic Milek pads. And it was, you know, the baseball catcher for a glove and literally a pillow glued to like a little, um, glove for a blocker. Right. So it was like as grassroots as you could possibly get. I love, um, I, I, yeah. I, feel like, I feel like we, as hockey players, like it's cool playing the rink, but I miss playing street hockey. And I feel like growing up, every street hockey game had that goalie who didn't have the full gear, right? Like, yeah. Somebody had a baseball mitt or like a catcher's mask. 
or something along those lines. I love how that plays all the way through. But sorry for interrupting you. Keep going. No, man, it's all good. And and that's what it was. I mean, it was all piecemealed together and I didn't know what I was doing. And, um, you know, hockey was just so new in Texas at that time. But I feel like all of my buddies and I really embraced the sport because, you know, just that concept of skating on ice and, and playing hockey was just such a new thing. So we really embraced it. Like I was too small to play football and football is everything in Texas. Right. So um, I wanted to find another sport where like it was aggressive and it was like an adrenaline rush and naturally just goaltending just I think goaltending was in my blood. It just took, you know, the stars coming to Dallas for it to kind of come out. Yeah. So, you know, all my life I've been a goalie. I don't think in all the years I've been playing since I was, you know, 12 years old, I've never skated out, never like wore the forward skates is always, you know, goalie, goalie, goalie my whole life. And, and that's really kind of what set me on this crazy path um, in this career. And so, you know, I was really fortunate, like first goalie on like my high school team in Dallas, first like one of the first goalies to play for the junior stars like double a AA and triple a program um and then you know worked my way up and had some decent talent but then i realized i was from texas and i went and played against some canadians and they put me in my spot right so you start to realize like okay like yeah i'm a pretty decent athlete but no way am i going to be like an nhl goalie um that was always the dream of course growing up in grade school and high school um, but once I got to, you know, my senior year of high school, it was, you know, finish out my varsity year and then let's see if I can play some college club hockey. So um, I was fortunate. I ended up at Colorado State University. So I moved to Colorado in the year 2000. Uh, that's when I graduated high school and then really lucky, like barely made the team as a practice goalie. So I was basically like CSU's third string goalie uh, my freshman and sophomore year. Um, and then my sophomore year of college is when the Colorado Eagles landed in Northern Colorado and were playing in the old central hockey league. And so that's when I made that transition from, you know, just like playing and had this passion for, you know, being a goalie and learning the position to actually turning it into a professional career. They gave me the Colorado Eagles gave me the start as like, I was one of their first junior reporters got the chance to, you know, get the press pass and interview the guys after the game. And, um, that set me on this crazy and now it's been like a 15 year career in pro hockey. That's awesome. I'm, I'm kind of doing something similar, I guess, with the Adirondack Thunder, um, East coast league. I'm not in inter- Well, I guess I get to, I hang out with the players more than I interview them, but I'm the in-game host. So like I'm on the jumbotron, like dabbing and stuff, dude. So. Sick. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Minor league hockey. I mean, that's the thing. It's not just minor league hockey for the players. It's minor league hockey for, you know, young professionals like yourself. And, um, you will look back when you're my age, man, you'll look back and be so grateful for that opportunity because a lot of guys just need that foot in the door. And for me, it was mostly luck because, you know, I was going to CSU. I was, you know, barely hanging on to like the third string goalie spot was made like mainly their practice goalie. Um, but then the Colorado Eagles kind of came out of nowhere really similar to what the Dallas stars did. So I feel like lightning kind of struck twice for me and I got the opportunity to, you know, be one of their first reporters. Um, I was studying journalism at CSU already. And then I just kind of took it and ran with it. I mean, that's, 
that's what it is, right? Like you, I, I love the fact that you just love the position of goalie so much that like you made that happen. Like that's, that's really cool stuff. A lot of people can love something, but they don't really go full tilt. You went full tilt. I love it. Um, what happened after the Colorado Eagles? Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> I was basically a starving artist my whole twenties. I didn't make a lot of money coming out of college. Um, you know, I majored in broadcasting and technical journalism, but I was so obsessed with hockey that I like refused to go work for like the family business. You know, my dad had a business, um, as a wholesaler and I was like, no, 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 I'll make it work. I'll make it work. And I was really stubborn. Like I just wanted to stay in the hockey world any way I possibly could. So, um, after I graduated from CSU in 2004, like I moved back down to Denver, was living with some buddies and just started goalie coaching on the side and continued to kind of hone my craft as like this goalie analyst and would just every single night, five, eight, you know, 5 PM till 10 PM at night would just watch NHL games every night. Like I had the center ice package. I would be writing notes in, in journals. I'd be writing notes online in Microsoft word and literally every night, not even kidding you from the first day of preseason games on TV until the Stanley cup final, you know, Stanley cup finals, every night was just taking notes on goalies. And were you um, like, after every shot, were you like kind of tracking where shots were coming from? Were you tracking like position? Like, I feel like that can be a super tedious thing, right? I was, you know, back then. So this was like mid two thousands, late two thousands back then the analytics hadn't started yet. It wasn't really yeah. a thing. You didn't really even have an iPad. Um, so it was honestly just watching yeah. games and, I would just watch the goalies. That's it. I would just observe. I wasn't really taking notes on like shot locations or saves or statistics. Right. I wasn't too interested in like the statistical stuff. I was really just fascinated in like the way that they moved mm -hmm. because um, goalies, goalies move so differently, um, especially back then. Like nowadays, goalies are pretty similar. But back then when you had, um, you know, Patrick Waugh was still playing, Brodor was still playing, like these Patrick. legends were still playing, Hashik, like yep. they were so different. And Mika Kiprasov was a goalie that I really gravitated towards. He was so damn flexible. He was yeah. so naturally gifted and he was Finnish. And I was like, whoa, where'd this like goalie from Finland <laughs> yeah. come from? Like, who is this dude? Like, he's unreal. Yeah. And the whole thing with Mika Kiprasov is what gravity like really drew me to like the intricacies of not just the way goalies stop pucks, but how they move and what they're doing beyond just the games to make sure they're ready to play and grind out, you know, an 82 game season. Cause he, he was playing like 72, 73 games a year back right. then. And you, you don't really see that kind of workload these days. So I was just really honestly fascinated by it. And, um, and yeah, I just had that passion for like writing down what I was experiencing and what I was watching and what I was seeing and detailing like the intricacies of every single goalie I was watching. I mean, geez, man, Mika Kiprasov is such a, I haven't heard that name in years, but you're right. He was, he was incredible. Like a very, very underrated. I would think because you mentioned before, like you had Patrick Wah, Hashik, all these other goalies who kind of got the limelight, but it seemed like Mika was always consistently like, I mean, he was a stud. I don't mm. know if the Flames have had a goalie like that since him. No, no, there's not too many guys like him. And, and he's, he's a legend in Finland. He's a legend in, in Calgary. He's a legend, you know, in the goalie circles. And um, again, back then it was just awesome to see so many different styles. And you started to see goalies from like Sweden come over. 
Um, so you'd see like Henrik Lundqvist emerge into the NHL. And I was like, where did this guy come from? I thought it was just all like American and Canadians. And then you started to see like the Swedish invasion and more Finnish goalies and more European goalies and seeing the European style and how different they were and how different they acted um, just really fueled that passion even more. And it was just like, wow, these goalies are so different, but they're all insanely good at stopping pucks. Yeah. Um, that's, that's really what just kind of drove that passion forward. So when, when you play hockey, did you try to ever emulate somebody's style? Like, I don't know if that's a weird question or not. Like I've never like grown up playing baseball. If somebody had a cool baseball stance, I'd be like, all right, I'm going to at least try that out and see, see what happens there. Was there a goalie where you're like, okay, I'd like to play like him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. For me growing up, it was Felix Potvin and Chris Osgood. The cat, dude. Uh, the cat, man, always, always. Like the sickest glove hand, like sickest pad setup you could ever imagine having back then in like the oh, early, yeah. you know, early through the through the 1990s. And, you know, like I said, I was really impressionable in those mid-90 years when I was first starting to kind of understand what hockey was and what right. goaltending was all about. Yeah. So Felix Potvin, Dominic Hoshik, and Chris Osgood were kind of like my three idols. Yep. And and so that was great because their styles were so different. Um, that just kind of inspired me to be different as well. And even though I was just some kid from Texas who was a lefty, like, I just embraced the weirdness of being a goalie. I embraced the challenge of like standing in front of pucks. And um, I never really had that young competitive pressure that a lot of young kids have now. You know, my parents were like, you want to do what? You want to skate on ice? Like, okay. Like if you can afford the gear, go out and do it. You know, they were very, very supportive, but also really hands off and never forced me into the sport. Um, So I was just loving it. I was just a kid in Texas who embraced it and, and, I was very fortunate to have the opportunities to, you know, turn it into a career. And and you you touched on a name. He was my favorite goalie. Not a lot of people know this, but when I first started playing hockey, I was a goalie. Um, Dominic Koshik, man. I mean, talk about an absolute legend. You mentioned that you tried to emulate some people's styles, but they were a little bit different. I think Dominic Koshik's style was way different than anybody had ever seen at that point. <laughs> um, yeah. What yeah. do you have that guy? That guy was incredible. Like he was like a Salinky, the shit that the, he could do when he yeah. like back and like spin over is crazy. Yep. Yep. Like, um, you know, just one of the most athletic, um, but also intelligent goalies to ever play the game. And I think that's the thing that you always talk about with Hashik is like, it looked like he was just flopping out there, but there was a real method to his madness. He really understood like, and not a lot of people know this about Hashik, but he was a certified genius. Like, you couldn't beat him in a game of chess. No way. Legitimately. Yeah. Like he would beat everyone in chess. He was way, way smarter than maybe what he appeared when he was playing. Because again, like you said, he's diving around, like doing the barrel rolls, like double pad stacks, like heavenly at the double pad stack. Like he was the man. And the thing is like, when you actually break down his style and look at the reasons why he did things, he was kind of like Wayne Gretzky. He was one step ahead of everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he relied on that athleticism because he knew he was so unpredictable that skaters would be like, uh, what the hell did he just do? And how did he make that save? If you're going one-on-one with Hashik, you're like, okay, what do I do now? <laughs> you, you have no clue. And like that unpredictability really got lost over the last 20 years. And now we're starting to look back at how much of a genius this guy was and how unique of a puck stopper he was. And it's like, oh, yeah, we got to bring some of that back. So you're seeing like the one knee down saves from guys like Robin Leonard and Flurry, and you're seeing more pad stacks this year. 
which was just awesome because Hashik Hashik was just way ahead of his time and um, everything about the way he approached the game, how he trained in the off season was just like bonkers compared to what most goalies do these days. Okay. So that's some interesting stuff that I didn't know about Dominic Hashik. Uh, cool stuff. Okay. So now you're in, <laughs> you're with your boys, you're, uh, you're coaching on the side, you're helping out all these kids. You're watching tons of games. What happens next? Um, Twitter kind of becomes a thing. And back in like, back in like 2008, 2009, um, it started to kind of filter into the sports world. And so naturally I was like, oh, that's cool. Like I'm a techie guy. Like I'm all about new stuff and Hey, this is perfect. Like I'll just start tweeting all the notes that I take on goalies instead of like just writing them down on paper. It was way faster and already had my eyes glued to a computer screen or a TV anyway. So why not save the time and just start tweeting notes about goalies that I'm watching. And I was pretty much one of the first guys to like be goalie specific on Twitter. So my following grew really fast and a couple years of like tweeting obsessively every night about goalies. Um, <laughs> NHL.com finally kind of noticed what I was doing. And um, I had already had the goalie guild blog, like the goalie guild started as like just a really basic WordPress blog in 2009 and that's what I was doing. I was just posting all my all my stuff on on the goalie guild blog and and tweeting every night, and started to connect with some goalie coaches, which I had never done before. Like, you could call them up on the phone, but if I wanted to like connect with a Finnish goalie coach, like there was really no way of going about doing that back in the late 2000s. Um, and that was what was so great about Twitter is it started to develop that virtual community. And so other goalie coaches would start to chime in and other goalies. And it was this awesome platform to just like discuss what we were seeing and talk about technique and style and what we liked and what we didn't like about goals going in and awesome saves. And um, back then, like I said, no one else was really doing it at the time. So again, I think I was just really fortunate to be right place at the right time, doing the right things I wasn't looking too far ahead. I didn't really have any other motives other than just like, this is what I love doing. It's fun. Um, and then, like I said, in 2011, that's when NHL.com noticed the content I was putting out and they were like, Hey, we don't really have any goalie specific writers out there. Would you like to write some playoff articles on like the goalie matchups? And I was like, Psh, this is a dream come true. Right. Um, <laughs> so, so I jumped at that and it was cool. It would be like a once a week article. I'd get paid like a hundred bucks to do it. And I took that first paycheck from NHL.com, flashed it right in front of my dad's face and said, what's up, dude. <laughs> uh, so that was really a cool moment for me. And kind of just like, it kind of validated all the years that I'd put into, um, you know, just studying the position and playing the position and, I was like, you know what? I might be able to actually carve out a little bit of a career here. Um, and so the NHL.com thing, you know, that that's really what continued the the trend forward for me. And um, that's when it really became like an actual professional career. I mean, what a moment that must have been like getting contacted by them like that. that do you remember like where you were? What was going on when you first saw that? Um, I, I remember it just kind of came through Twitter actually. So it was like, you know, a DM from the editor, his name was Sean Rourke. Um, he's still the editor of NHL.com. So shout out to him. He's an unbelievable guy. Like you want to talk about a guy that's put in the hours and put in the time. Um, Sean's definitely that guy. And, and again, I think they were starting to realize that like, there was this huge gap in their coverage. There was no goalie specific content out there. 
Um, and that's what I was doing literally every single day since, since the mid two thousands. So, um, yeah, I definitely remember it. I, I remember it being a little bit surreal. Um, but that moment really, again, gave me a boost of confidence and, and some other, you know, some NHL goalie coaches started to see those first few articles and they were all about it because they hadn't seen it before. And so I can remember the real defining moment for me was getting a call from a guy named Mike Valley, who was the goalie coach for the Dallas Stars at the time. No. So you can imagine me getting a call from the team I grew up watching that got me into hockey, their goalie coach. And I was, and he was like, Hey, where did you play growing up? And I was like, uh, I didn't really play anywhere, man. Like I don't have any kind of like college division one or pro background. Like this is just me talking about goalies. Like I got a good eye for the position, I guess. And he was like, dude, you got to keep this up. You're doing some great stuff. Like for a guy that never played pro or division one, like you've got a good eye for the position. So just keep it up. And that was like the defining moment because that was a call that was unsolicited from an NHL goalie coach saying I'm doing some good stuff. And yeah. then you, you know, you get a call like that and you've got someone in your corner like that. I mean, you got all the confidence in the world and maybe I got a little bit too confident at times with some of the stuff I was saying, but I was always just true to my unique way of breaking down the position. And, um, I, I definitely learned a lot, you know, from that moment that was back in, I think Mike first reached out to me in like 2012 because it was pretty shortly after I started writing for NHL.com. I mean, not only any goalie coach, like the hometown goalie coach, like right. that's, that's unreal, dude. It, yeah. Like, I don't. Have you ever got a chance to talk to Benoit Allaire? No, I haven't. Um, I mean, he's a legend, obviously. Right. And, like, you yeah, know. break him down a little bit because, like, in terms of the Rangers, like, we've had Lundqvist for all these years, but it seemed like every time we get a backup goalie, he would tear it up, and they would talk oh, about yeah. Allaire, how he's like this wizard. Right. And the the Allaire family. So you've got Francois Allaire, who's pretty much recognized as one of the best goalie coaches in the history of the game. You know, taught Patrick Waugh. You know, pretty much the the godfather of the butterfly position. Um, and then his brother, Benoit Lair, you know, maybe a little bit in the shadows of Francois, but not for a lack of knowledge and a lack of expertise. And those two guys are just the Lair name is like synonymous with efficiency and goaltending. So everything they teach is just like maximize your space that you're covering and minimize your movement. And the less moving, you know, the less you're moving and the more square and, and square and set you are to the puck, you know, you're filling space and you're taking things away. You're taking space away and you're just in way more control of the game. So, like, that's what you saw from Henrik, Henrik Lundqvist with with Benoit Lair is like right. he's only six foot, but man, he looks so huge in the net and he always looks like he's set and ready before shots are even being taken. And um, Alaire really mastered the concept of like spatial awareness and just being prepared for every shot before that shot's even off the stick blade. So, um, I'm not surprised to see like, he's still teaching guys like Yorgiev and, and, um, um, everyone else in the Rangers system. And yeah, I mean, he can coach goalies as long as he wants. He's always going to be effective with the guys he works with. So they, they always talk about how Hank kind of stays back in his crease. Is that part of the whole less movement making yourself look bigger yeah absolutely i mean he he's got a really unique stance and yes there's a lot of swedish um there's a lot of sweden technique in his game 
But the deeper you play in the crease, you, the less you have to move because you're getting post to post right. faster. When right. you come out and challenge and you, you, you battle in the white paint, now you've got to retreat further to get back to your posts. But right. everything starts from the posts out. Everything okay. starts from your goal line and works out from there. So the closer you stay, quote unquote, to your home, you know, which is your, your posts and, and your, you know, your goal line, the less movement you have to make if you give up a rebound or there is a second opportunity or puck goes off the backboards and fires out the other side. You know what I mean? So you never really see Lundqvist chasing the play when he's on his game. Um, Obviously this season is an anomaly for him. It, It hasn't been easy, but you know, when Henrik Lundqvist is being the Henrik Lundqvist that we know, he's never chasing the play. Um, he's always big to the puck and you just see him play deep. Cause that's, that's how he's been trained and that's what he's a master at. Well, I appreciate you breaking that down for me. Cause they would always talk about it and I'd be like, okay, I get that he's playing deeper, but there's gotta be a reason behind the madness. So yeah, yeah, that's it. <clears throat> so at this point, uh, NHL.com, that's who you're writing for these playoff matchups. It's so cool. The fact that you're writing on NHL.com, that's such like a, I'd put that everywhere. I'd probably make a t-shirt and never take it off. <laughs> uh, what happened from there? Uh, so I think I wrote for NHL.com for about three years and then same thing like NHL.com provided me a platform to share, you know, my, my knowledge and, um, what I had learned from goalies and, and that call with Mike Valley was the start of the whole book writing journey. So Mike Valley and I put our heads together. He really taught me a lot about the mental side of the game for elite goaltenders um, what guys like Marty Turco and Kari Lettinen and, and some other stars goalies had been going through. And I just saw this huge gap in the education and the content that was out there on goaltending. It was all performance-based, right? It was all like stats and who's hot right now and um, who's cold and who's struggling and you know who's making lots of saves and getting shutouts. But there was nothing really on the mental side of the game. And for me, I was always really keyed in on that because I just grew up intuitively learning the position all on my own. Like I didn't have a goalie coach telling me, Oh, you got to stop every puck. I didn't have parents that were like overwhelming me with like, Oh, you've got to win every game. Cause we live vicariously through you. It was just yeah. me in my own mind, figuring it out and failing over and over again and being a terrible skater and then slowly starting to figure out how to use my edges on the ice. So for me, I was always really tuned into the mental game within the game. Right. Like you've got the game going on out in front of you, but a goalie is, an, is like a man and a woman on an island. You're all alone. You're all alone in your head. Right. And if you can't figure out the mental game, it doesn't matter how talented are, you are, pucks are going to go in. Right. Um, so I really gravitated towards like, what's the mindset of an NHL goalie? What do they think about when they're in the heat of the battle? Um, what are they trying to do to overcome adversity and stay in the moment and X, Y, and Z. So Mike and I started that first book together called the power within. And that was around the time I got my opportunity with USA hockey. And that was huge because I kind of took this risk to, um, take my career in goaltending one step further. So I was loving it in Colorado. I had all these great opportunities to like do some radio for the avalanche and X, Y, and Z, but I wanted to take another risk and move to Minnesota and be in a really like a truly saturated hockey market. So kind of similar to what it was like living in Texas with football. I wanted to experience the same thing with hockey. And so I was like, 
hey, let's just, you know, I've got the opportunity. Let's take a risk. Let's move to Minnesota and see what it's like covering hockey in the Twin Cities. Um, and I was so thankful, you know, now that I look back, I'm so happy I took that risk because a year into living in Minnesota, um, I got the call from USA Hockey and they said, hey, we've got an opportunity for someone to step in um, as a regional goalie scout for our national team development program for the NTDP. Um, so kind of same thing, like right place at the right time, the opportunity presented itself. Um, they appreciated the fact that I wasn't originally from the twin cities. So I wasn't coaching there. So I didn't have any bias, right? Yeah. Like I didn't have any kids that I wanted to champion into a role with the NTDP. I was some dude from Colorado that had been studying goalies for X number of years. And now I'm living in Minnesota. I don't know any of these kids. I don't know any of the schools. Sure. I'll go scout all these guys and tell you who's really legitimately a stud and who's not. Um, and I got really lucky that year because that was the year that Jake Ottinger, who is now a Stars prospect, um, and a guy by the name of Joseph Wool, who is now with the Toronto Maple Leafs, were the two top goalies. And they were like head and shoulders above everyone else that year. So it made my job really easy. I was watching these guys all season long um, and a couple other really good high school goalies in Minnesota. And so it was kind of easy to pick out like who had a legitimate shot of making that um, and TDP U17 team those years. And I think that was 2013, 2014. Um, so that was my second year in Minnesota. And that was, that was another huge honor, you know, just being this kid from Texas. Now I'm, now I'm scouting goalies for USA hockey. So that continued the journey. So was that just like going to a ton of their games? Like, do you sit behind the net? Like where, where do you go when you're doing? Yeah. Good, good question, man. Good question. So when I scout goalies, so I was scouting all of the high school goalies, Bantam goalies and um, midget goalies as well. But you know, in Minnesota, it's all about high school hockey. So I was really focused on freshman and sophomore goalies um, in the twin cities area. And then every weekend I would go down to Shattuck St. Mary's. So I would go to Shattuck. And see really good, um, really good 16, 18 year old hockey players and goalies. Um, So that was my role. It was basically, you know, three, four days a week, scouting all the goalies, you know, mentoring them as well. So really helping their development by, you know, being a a voice for them to kind of lean on as as a goalie guy uh, beyond just their parents and the goalie coach. so, so that was a huge part of my role. And, and again, great learning experience because I was in a different environment in a different role and really had to grind it out traveling to, you know, all over the upper Midwest and, and throughout Minnesota. But to answer your question, when I scout a goalie, I don't sit behind the net. I actually sit directly along the goal line. Okay. So if I'm directly along the goal line, not only can I see, um, more than what I would see from behind the net. Cause I like to see plays develop, but I can also see their feet and okay. being able to see their feet and like the full length of their skate blade is really important because you can learn a lot about how a goalie reads plays and how patient he is and how he reacts by being able to see what their feet are doing. Okay. So if you're like watching a goalie from the front, you're only going to see like the pads, right? right. Like you'll yeah. see a little bit of skate blade here and there, but if you're watching from the side, like broadcast view and you're directly on the goal line, you can see all of their skate blade, like when they're challenging out, when they're retreating back into their net, when they're making kick saves, all kinds of things. So that's a little tip goalie, goalie scouting tip right there. 
That's so, interesting. I never would have thought that. I would have thought behind the net because then that way you see all the angles. But you're right. If if the feet are one of the most important parts of a goalie's game, you're not going to see that from there. So like that's interesting. Yeah, I was just saying it's almost like um, when you're looking at a skate blade, it'll kind of you'll see that before you see the rest of the goalie move. Like you'll kind of give it away earlier. So that I can see why that's important. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, um, and it's it's tough to like scouting a goalie is really really tough because um naturally their learning curves are much more gradual than like a skater right like we always talk about how goalies develop later in years um and you're only seeing a very small example of what they can actually do because every game is different and mm-hmm. every game is a different type of an oper- um, different type of an opponent um and because goalies really rely on feel like hey, you could go watch a game, a goalie could give up 10 goals, but he just was sick or he wasn't feeling good or he's dealing with off-ice stuff. Um, you have to give goalies the benefit of the doubt and you kind of have to give them a larger sample size before you can truly evaluate like what their potential is or how skilled they are. Hmm. Interesting. I'm learning tons of stuff here that I had no idea. I always just thought goalies were a little weird and they stopped pucks, but there's way more that goes into that. Yeah. Yeah. And hey, we're definitely weird, and and it is just like getting out there and being willing to embrace like getting puck shot at you. But it's it's pretty crazy how how like technical and scientific, yeah. and um, you really break things down frame by frame when when you're at those higher levels. And yeah. I feel like I feel like us forwards know like not near enough as we should about it because like Jimmy and I both played forward, and if I was able to actually look across during warmups and like notice a couple subtle things like i feel like my shooting would have just my head would have been way better going into be way more confident right yeah. Like, yeah and and i mean it works both ways like goalies could do a better job yeah. understanding how shooters are being super deceptive with releases right now you know like yeah. you guys you guys do some crazy shit with your stick blades and with the way that you guys shoot pucks and how pucks come off of stick blades um we as goalies need to learn more about what's going on behind enemy lines with you guys. Cause it's, it's harder every year. Um, you know, goalies, I don't think at, at the, at the NHL level, like I had one of the avalanche goalies tell me this year, it was an unreal quote. Like I can use it for the rest of my life. He said, I don't fear stopping pucks. I fear not seeing them. Okay. Yeah. If you see a shot, you're going to stop it if you're an NHL goalie. Yeah. But the ones that you can't really get a good read because they come off the stick blade a little weird, or there's eight guys in front of you. There's so much traffic in front of the net. So like when he told me that I was like, Oh man, that's so good. Like I'm, I'm (laughs) and I'm using it because it really is true. Like I don't think goalies these days fear stopping pucks because they're so good at the pro level. It's the ones they don't see. Um, and so when shooters have these unreal, crazy, deceptive releases where they're like pulling the puck a few inches in or pushing it out before it comes off the stick blade, like that, that really screws with a goalie big time. And like, it may only be two inches, but in the NHL, every inch counts. And like, that's just something that goalies really struggle with. I think at at the higher levels, I mean, if it's me, I'm either going five hole or I'm shooting at five feet over the net. I only I only have three shots, just so head on us over there. But Garrison, did you write all that down so we can start training a little? <laughs> yeah, we got to. <laughs> Two inches. So as this is going on, the goalie guild is still happening, correct? 
Yeah, yeah. The Goalie Guild is kind of just like my my online platform for all my content, right? So I'm just posting scouting reports, and um, I dabble in a little bit of, of Photoshop and did a little bit of video editing and would just really lean on my creative my creativity to just come up with unique content that really hadn't been done before in the goalie world and like i said back then in like the late 2000s it was really just me and this other magazine called in goal magazine that were truly focused and dedicated to covering goalies 24 7 like we didn't cover forwards we didn't cover specific teams it was just literally like what's going on in goalie world today and who can we talk to that is coaching goalies at the pro level that can teach us something. Um, so in goal magazine and the goalie guild, like we're still two really strong brands and we're kind of seen as like in goals based in Canada. So they're like, kind of like the Canadian version of the goalie guild and like the goalie guilds, like the American version of in goal magazine. So um, we leaned on each other and we continue to build our communities. And like my goal was always to kind of just try and separate myself from them so that we were, touching on different topics and they really took off and did amazing work in like the real technical side of goaltending and like a lot of the positional stuff. And so I naturally gravitated more towards like the mental and emotional side of the position and like the mindset of pro goalies. Um, Cause that's really where my passion lied. No, I mean that Garrison, do you kind of want to get into the whole mental aspect of it? Yeah, sure. I mean, um yeah before we dive too deep into it i just like there's a lot that goes on like you said during during the game mentally and it's um kind of like for me one of the reasons i always enjoyed stepping out on the ice was because you you know you forgot about school you forgot about girlfriends family and anything going on in your life at the time you were just in the game to the next level but i never really thought of it um from a goalie standpoint because as a forward you're always an inch away from the next play, but a goalie, you're right. There can be two, three minutes sometimes that go by where you're just standing by yourself in net. So uh, it's, it's gotta be different. And uh, yeah, I really, I really find that fascinating as well, as far as like preparation, eating and um, visualization before games and everything like that. So, yeah. Yeah. And um, the goalie's mindset is very different because, you know, we see the play unfold before us. Right. We have to stay home. Like we can't go attack pucks. We can't go after players. Um, we have to be able to coach ourselves because, you know, a forward or defenseman, you're on the ice for 60 seconds. And if you make a mistake, you're going to go to the bench and you're either going to get, um, you know, a pat on the back from the coach who's going to say, don't worry about it. Just get out there next time. Or you're going to hear you're going to get chirped. But yeah. for goalie you don't get that like you don't get that break you don't get that opportunity to get some positive or negative reinforcement from a coach like you have to do it all on your own so you are constantly battling with your own thoughts and you're constantly battling to keep those thoughts positive because once you start to let that negative self-talk take over one you're not focused on just being in the moment And two, that's just going to distract you from playing your game. So that is the biggest challenge, I think, for the goalie in terms of, like, the mental game is just being able to coach yourself and being able to stay positive when, you know, the play is in the other end for two minutes and you're just sitting there trying not to get distracted. 
I mean, it's basically impossible, but that's the battle that's literally never truly won and never truly lost. Like you can battle with yourself mentally and play a great game. And then guess what? You've got to do it all over again tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, the challenge never goes away and it never gets any easier because the older you get, the more aware you become, like you face different challenges. You're dealing with more people in your life. You're dealing with more pressure. Um, it becomes a livelihood you rely on playing hockey to make a living and if you can't do it well what are you going to do to make money to feed your family you know like there's so many things that tie into just more than winning a hockey game like it becomes your your whole life and and that's why i always say it's like it's a battle that's never truly won or lost because even if you master it one game the next game it's not going to be the same you know yeah. like you're not always going to be at the top of your game you're not always going to feel good you're not always going to have a cakewalk um, and get two points. So, yeah, it's definitely a different different challenge than maybe what a forward or defenseman faces. Yeah, never get too high or too low, right? It's one of my, my favorite quotes there. Uh, so you do all the scouting. You do all this mentoring for these kids, like trying to grow up, learn the game, which I think is incredible because – you didn't really have that. You learned it yourself, and throughout the years, you're watching goal. I think that's incredible. So that's not the only stuff that you do. So I'm on your website right now, and I'm on the Lift the Mask. And I would love for you to talk about Lift the Mask because this is this is really cool stuff. Yeah, Lift the Mask is honestly just um, understanding that goalies deal with a lot of different pressures and a lot of different demands um, compared to other athletes. It doesn't mean that other athletes don't have those demands, but like it takes a goalie to know a goalie and younger goalies need other goalies to lean on when they're struggling. Um, so lift the mask is really, again, a lot like the other programs that I've, you know, started over the past 10 years is there's a need for a mental health initiative and a mental health program specifically for goalies, because we do face really unique challenges. Um, and especially now with all of the demands, um, both, you know, physically and emotionally on young kids, I feel like this is a program that's really important because young kids don't necessarily know how to verbalize when they're dealing with something emotionally that's troubling them. Um, a lot of kids go through all kinds of different trauma, and if they don't have an outlet to express their feelings and express their emotions and really share when they're struggling they start to bottle that in. And when you start to bottle it in, it just festers and it gets harder and harder to live a normal life. So because there are such few goalie specific resources out there to begin with, um, I feel like young goalies are more prone to developing um, that negative self-talk and those negative emotions that can lead into mental illness. So Lift the Mask is really just a very simple platform and program that helps eliminate a lot of those barriers to goalies that need to get help and goalies that need someone to talk to about whatever it is they're dealing with in their personal or their, you know, goaltending lives. Um, and one of the ways that we make it easier is not only by like providing financial support for um, goalies that need professional help, but also by kind of combining this idea of mental performance, which is like, hey, every goalie wants to get better at confidence or every goalie can stand to get better at um, focus. These are mental skills, 
but if you can have a discussion about your mental skills, it makes it that much easier to have a discussion about your mental health. Right. Like when a lot of goalies hear that term mental health or a lot of hockey players hear the term mental health, they're already a little apprehensive. They're going to be a little bit more guarded because they know there's a lot of stigmas associated with like, oh, I've got depression or I've got anxiety. But if you can just have a conversation about like, hey, man, what do you do to get ready for a game? Like, what do you do mentally to get over a bad goal? Or like, what do you do to prepare for like a three day tournament? Like, those are conversations about your mental skills, but you can also lead that into another conversation about like, well, now how are you feeling? You know, like, do you feel good? Is there something troubling you? Like, is there something I can help you with? Is there something you want to talk about? So we just try and find unique ways to like discuss mental health without the stigmas associated around those topics. And the best way to do it is just talk about your mental game. Like, yeah, I was off, like I wasn't focused, I got distracted or all these other components that go into, you know, stopping pucks in your head. Um, We've had a lot of success helping goalies realize that it's like okay to not be okay. And like the best thing you can do is talk to someone about it. That's amazing, man. That it, yeah, I I really respect a lot about that. And um, it's true, everybody, everybody goes through, everybody has mental health. Not everybody might be going through a mental illness at that time, but everybody has mental health and the ability for you to put that platform together to make people have that conversation is just huge. Thank you. Yep. Yep. No worries. And, and like, again, they're not easy conversations to have. Like I've been through different traumas in my life and, um, we've all dealt with different traumas and like, what you consider trauma for yourself could be totally different for someone else. You know, like um, everyone's affected by things in different ways and everyone carries baggage um, and emotional distress in different ways. But especially with what we're going through now with this whole coronavirus outbreak, like it's so important to um, share empathy and, and express understanding with other people. Cause like, how I handle this outbreak and how serious I take it is going to be different from you guys. That doesn't mean you care any less or I care any more. It's just, we're all different. Yeah. So by just having a conversation and not taking it too seriously and being open with the way that we perceive things and how we handle different um, situations and different negative things that happen in our lives. Like we all grow together and we all kind of learn from each other and we all get stronger because of it. No, and you just mentioned the coronavirus, and I thought this was really a top-notch thing you did. Uh, March 14th, in response to the coronavirus pandemic, the Goalie Guild is elected to suspend all 2020 training and coaching scholarships and reallocate those funds in order to help goalie coaches, players, and families in need during this difficult time. I mean, dude, that's badass. <laughs> There's nothing more to well, that. Like, yeah. that. That's the empathy you're talking about, right? Like, people are going through some shit right now, and some people need a little bit more than others. And I think that is that should be the message to everybody. Oh, yeah. 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 And I mean, to be honest, like the money that I had set aside for scholarships probably wouldn't have been used anyways, because a lot of summer camps are being canceled and stuff. Right. So this was this was not necessarily like me having to like dig into my own pocket and, and come up with this money. This was money that, you know, I'm looking further ahead and I'm saying, well, what's the best use for the money I have right now? And, and, you know, we talk about resilience as like a really important skill for players, right? Like for hockey players, like you got to right. be resilient, 
got to be able to push through X, Y, and Z. Like the same can be said for organizations. And for me with the goalie guild, like I take a lot of pride in being able to adapt my services and change up the way that I do things and always kind of evolving with how things are changing because things are constantly changing. So when this thing first started to happen, I knew there were going to be a lot of goalie coaches that were going to get screwed over because of this. Cause like yeah. that's their, that's their livelihood. That's how they make a living. That's their bread and butter. And as soon as rinks start closing, like that's it, you're screwed. Yeah. So knowing that a lot of summer and like spring goalie camps were going to be affected and probably postponed or canceled. I just took the initiative and I said, okay, let's just take all that money that's already set aside. That'd be going to some kids. And if those training programs aren't existing, let's put it into an emergency fund um, that will help goalie coaches because they're going to really need it. Yeah. Like if you don't have goalie coaches, you don't have goalies. Exactly. So if you don't have a way to help the coaches get through the tough time, how are they going to be able to help more goalies? So I just thought this made sense. Um, And the great thing about running your own nonprofit foundation is like you can do whatever you want. You don't have to answer to like – eight million people and it doesn't take two weeks to get shit done it was me calling up my tax guy and saying i heard this that like the president did this like is this something that works for me and he's like yeah you're a 501c3 like do it and so it took me literally a day to make that decision and um i take a lot of pride in in my foundation being able to adapt and and like be resilient and change and help different parts of the community in different ways when when they need it most no and that's incredible man i just i don't know I, that's just really really stand up i wish we could do something like that. i mean that's that's some cool stuff um one thing that you mentioned to us i'm pretty sure on instagram you asked us if we were gamers yeah <laughs> are you are you into chell because the boys just recently got into it man and it is unreal so, so here's the thing like i grew up with video games my whole life and it was always just like something i would do um, I was never like a really hardcore gamer, so I was never really excellent at any one game. Um, but I was always playing it. Like I had all the PlayStations. I've got a PS4 now. Um, I can remember when I was really young doing some LAN parties, and it was just part of my lifestyle growing up. It was either I was outside playing hockey or I was playing some video games. Um, oh yeah. So, so like, I really kind of lost sight of video games when my career first started but then like three years ago um i started to learn about esports and i was like this is just sick you know like if if i was 12 years old and esports was around like maybe that's the path i would have taken because it was just so cool to think that you could be a professional video gamer right yeah Um, but then i started to learn a lot about the science behind esports and how it can actually be very beneficial for regular athletes because you have to be so good at strategizing you've got to be able to make insanely fast decisions you're dealing with games where you're being challenged visually and cognitively like way faster than what you see in a hockey game right yeah. like some of these games like i'm playing a little bit of warzone right now and those battle royale games like <laughs> It's just madness, you know, I'm not great at it, but it is an unbelievable challenge. And it's one of the only ways I have right now to keep my cognitive skills sharp. Right. And I don't have time. Yeah. Um, So about a year ago, I started Goalie Guild Gaming. 
which is literally like bringing together all the top e-goalies that play the NHL series, bringing us together and saying like, holy shit, there's actually a lot of crossover between like esports gaming as a goalie and real life goaltending because the mental game is all the same. You have to stay in the moment. You have to keep your mind free of distraction. You've got to have unbelievable eye-hand coordination, and you've got to be really dialed in on what you're doing or else you're going to get scored on. Right. Like the, the crossover between how a real-life goalie plays the mental game and how a video gamer or an esports athlete plays their video games, there's a ton of crossover, and I just think that's the coolest shit ever. So, yeah, like, <laughs> it's awesome, and I think um, – it's really funny how maybe a year ago, if we had this conversation, like esports wouldn't really be a topic or wouldn't really be a thing. But how funny is it that esports went from not really being a thing to being the only thing? Right. Yeah. No, it's crazy. That's insane. I, I bought my PS4 the day the NHL canceled it. I was like, right. screw it. I got to get in. <laughs> right. Um, and, and the competitiveness of it is always there too. So like, I'll be playing some games online with buddies and I feel the same adrenaline rush and I feel the same desire to win that I do when I'm on the ice. So it's so true, man. Like we'll stay up all hours of the night, like FaceTiming and just playing chow. Like, I think we have like five or six of us and we have like our own team or whatever. And it gets to the point where like when we score a big goal, you're like, woo! Like you actually like fucking get jacked up. Yeah, about Jimmy's it, like right? yelling at me at two in the morning. <laughs> oh, so if you got play like, E-A-S-H-L? Like, are yeah, you that's, that's, yeah, E-A-S-H-L, yeah, man. We're gamers okay. now. Okay, so, and, and yeah, like, we, you know, I've, I'm really, I've gotten to become pretty good friends with a guy named Kinu who runs NHL Gamer. So that's, like, the oh. European contingency. And that guy's a stud. Like, he does <sighs> some amazing things building NHL esports in Europe. And he was the one that kind of helped build the E-S-H-L, which was, the Swedish Hockey League's version of esports. Oh, no way. Yeah. So it's definitely growing on a global scale. And, like, I just think this is an unreal opportunity for NHL teams to dive in and get their players to start playing yeah. with um, guys in the esports community. And, like, it's an amazing cultural crossover that I think is only going to become more and more relevant as time goes on. I mean, that's a great idea, right? Because nobody's doing anything anyway. Why don't you become the first league to really get in there? Yeah, yeah. The NBA does a really cool thing with the NBA 2K League, but um, the NHL should really lean on a lot of these young players in the league that take their PlayStations and Xboxes on road trips and right. when they're, you know, when they've got some downtime. And it was really cool to see the shift in um, perspectives from some NHL coaches that would just be like, there's no way you guys are allowed to game. Like, we're on the road to well if alex ovechkin's bringing his playstation on the road and patrick <laughs> Lyonet, like patrick lyon is playing nhl 20 on the road like there's a lot of value like they're the gaming is valued by the players so the coaches have to respect it because that's what they do to wind down yeah like, that's what they do on their off time that's how they chill out and get their mind off the pressures of real life goaltending so as a coach or as like an old fashioned guy, you cannot resist it. You have to embrace that. This is the new norm. And this is something that your players value. And if you take it away from them, 
They're going to shut you off really fast. You know what, dude? I'm going to clip that audio and I'm going to send it to all the boys' girlfriends right now because they, <laughs> they are just so against everything that's going on. That was pure. That was poetry. And I thank you so much for that. Garrison knows what I'm talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. All the boys, dude. It's, it's insane. But, uh, Justin, we, we appreciate you coming. Garrison, do you have anything else for him? Uh, I was going to say, last thing, uh, definitely want to hear a little bit about that e-bug and uh you're you're the emergency backup goaltender for the colorado avalanche so don't want to miss out on that yeah so um that is one of the biggest um mental obstacles for me when i have the games because you know 99.9 percent of the time nothing's gonna happen but man if you get caught unprepared and that 0.001 percent time happens and you do get called in to either practice or even just get dressed and sit on the bench like you do not want to get caught unprepared for that um because you will embarrass yourself and by no means am i good enough to um be an nhl goalie but i take a lot of pride in the opportunity to call myself like an e-bug because i have dedicated my whole life to this position so a lot of it just comes down to taking it seriously and being as professional as possible like I dress up to the games I show up early I shake people's hands I show a lot of gratitude I make sure and thank everyone and I stay out of the way right and and that alone has allowed me to do it for three years, even though there's a lot of other goalies in Denver that have played at a high, way higher level that definitely have more talent than me. But a lot of it comes down to just how you treat people. And that is one thing I would love to get across in, in this episode for you guys is like people matter more than pucks and relationships are the foundation for which you will have success in your career. If you treat people the right way and you show a little bit of gratitude for the opportunities that you get, people will remember that. And that's the reason why I got the opportunity to be an emergency backup goalie in the first place. Because it wasn't because of skill. It wasn't because of my past playing years. It's because I've shown a dedication to the game and I treat people like I would like to be treated. And so a lot of people ask me like, how did you get it? Did you have tryouts? No, like, the Avalanche trust me. The NHL trusts me. They know that if we're, anything were to happen, I would handle it the best to my ability. Right. Yeah, I am good enough to get in the way and hopefully have some pucks hit me. Like, that's definitely part of it. Yeah. But more than that, it's about how I treat people and, and the things that I do um, when people aren't necessarily watching. So um, it is definitely mentally very challenging because – you know, I do have my full-time job during the day, but I also, in the back of my mind, know I have to do what I can to be prepared. And I'm not on the ice seven days a week. Like, I'm lucky if I get on the ice twice a week and I've got my beer league game at the University of Denver. So it's a crazy challenge. Um, and there's definitely, like, I'm not afraid to admit that I feel anxiety when I go to Pepsi Center before every game. And I'm passing by some of the guys and you see, like, Kale McCarr, who's just, like, a machine. And you can <laughs> how, like intense he is with his pregame warm-up and how intense he is when he's starting to get ready to get his gear on and um you see how intense the whole like all the operations people are when they get ready for a game um you have to match that intensity and that's not easy when you're just 
like the emergency backup and you're just there to make sure um, nothing happens to the other guys. So it's a unbelievable challenge. It's also very, um, it's also like very like, it's not easy some nights and I deal with the anxiety, but it's also an unbelievable honor and an unbelievable opportunity that like I'm extremely grateful for. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I love how you talked about just treating people the way you like be treated. Uh, our boy Ken at Ultimate Hockey Fan Cave, he always says, "Play it forward," and that's kind of like how we've been trying to live our lives here the last I don't know ever since we talked to him. Dude, dude. Okay, so maybe that's how we connected because Ken and Jordy are pretty good friends of mine. Yeah, they're um, beauties, huh? They're great okay. people. Awesome. Yeah, Jordy. Jordy actually came out to uh, the goalie coaching retreat we ran in Breckenridge last year. Oh, cool. And- he was like a guest of ours. He, he designed this, like he created this unbelievable video to help me promote the retreat. So that's awesome. You know, those guys, cause Jordy, I haven't met Ken, but, um, those guys are, those guys are absolute beauties. Yeah. They're there. I mean, and that's the coolest thing. We just keep interviewing all these people and it seems like everybody kind of knows each other and everybody Garrison loves. And I say we're cut from the same cloth, man. We're hockey people sure. that love talking <laughs> hockey, being around hockey and just treating each other with the respect and kindness that everybody deserves, you know? Yep, absolutely. And well, I'm glad we were able to connect. And like I said, thank you guys for giving me a platform to tell a little bit about my story and all the work I'm doing. No, absolutely. Garrison, you have anything else? No, just thank you for what you're doing. And again, thank you for spreading mental health awareness. Yeah. And hey, happy happy birthday, man. And if you guys are listening, make sure you follow him, The Goalie Guild on Instagram thegoalieguild.com, uh, liftthemass.com, pretty much any .com that has to do a goalie, this guy's got it. So, Justin, thanks again for coming on, man. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, guys. Take care, stay safe, and I uh, can't wait to see you guys on the ice. Hopefully Ab- soon. Absolutely, man. We'll talk to you. All right. Open, living for the night like it is golden. Yeah, I can't know when I'm never folding. Among the stars, these after hours got me charged and open. Living for the night like it is golden. Yeah, I can't know when I'm never folding. I just wanna dance among the stars. These after hours got me charged and open.